1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 141 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch-hitting for George Redis. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub, get a recap of tonight's show, get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, the very cool website, www.wcshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news. Go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, folks, thank you all for the great feedback on last week's show. I loved having two-time Olympic medalist, former Navy SEAL and Silicon Valley investor, Larson Jensen, on episode 140. Larson took the lessons he learned from the pool and brought them to being a Navy SEAL, and he amplified those lessons and brought them to venture capital in Silicon Valley. We talked about how the soft skills of honor, courage, and commitment he learned from the military, and the culture of no, you're not supposed to even acknowledge what you do, applies to the culture of how he invests and how he's how he invests in the companies he's taking bets on in Silicon Valley. And my favorite part of the show was, you know, his quote: "Those who dare win." We had the pleasure also talking about the lessons learned from his personal experience of raising money to start Harpoon Ventures and how having a a solid and a robust investment strategy for raising money is really important and critical to the success of your startup, and how assembling the right team will help you get funded. We also talked about a unique experience that he shared, and he's talked with me tons of times, folks, over my relationship with him that I think is a riot, and, and it shows how you know, taking advantage of opportunities when they present themselves is when he gave former first lady Laura Bush flowers after he, got, he won the medal in, in Beijing. Right, and how that ultimately led to a meeting with President Bush in the Oval Office. Whether you're looking for an investment, transitioning out of the military and the government, or an aspiring, aspiring athlete, there's something for everybody on episode 140 of Task Force 7 Radio. If you missed last week's episode, folks, don't sweat it. We're on a, at least 11 different playback mediums. You can find us everywhere, folks. Just go to your favorite playback medium. That's Lessons Learned from Being an Olympian Navy SEAL in Silicon Valley on last week's episode. That's episode number 140 of Task Force 7 Radio. So we have another great show for you this week. We have cyber growth leader from Willis Towers Watson, Mr. Tom Finan. Tom is a director and cyber growth leader of Willis Towers Watson, FinEx Cyber Liability Practice. In his role, Tom advances the company's integrated approach to cybersecurity costs, all aspects of people, capital, and technology risk. Tom previously worked as a chief strategy officer of Arc Network Security Solutions. Also served as Senior Cybersecurity Strategist and Counsel for the Department of Homeland Security's National Protection and Programs Directorate. While at DHS, Tom established and led the agency's cybersecurity insurance initiative in support of implementation of Executive Order 13636, Improving Critical Infrastructure Cybersecurity. And to advance that effort, he created DHS's Cyber Incident Data and Analysis Working Group, the CDOG. A private-public engagement forum that examined how a cyber incident data repository could help information analysis requirements of both the industry and insurance and technical security practitioners. I was a part of it, folks. It was great. Uh, Tom also previously served as the staff director and counsel of the subcommittee on intelligence information sharing and terrorism risk assessment with the U.S. House Committee on Homeland Security. And during his time with the committee, he authored two major reports that informed many of the statutory provisions that helped develop Title V of implementing recommendations for the 9-11 Commission of 2007. Tom's a former assistant general counsel at the FBI, and he's also worked in private practice. He's got a JD from University of Minnesota Law School and a BA from University of Virginia. It's my pleasure to introduce cyber growth leader from Willis Towers Watson, Mr. Tom Feining. Tom, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. Hey, thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me this morning. Yeah, man, it's great to have you on the show. I mean, look, we've been working together for a long time, right? I mean, you're at Willis Towers now, when we were working together at DHS, when you were a senior cybersecurity strategist there. You know, in both places, though, you've spoken a lot about the human element of cyber risk and the need for organizations to build more effective cyber risk cultures. Tell the audience, why is the human element such a big deal
2: from your point of view? Well, thanks for that question. Look, as you know, I like people. I'm what you would call a people person. In fact, I need people. And according to Barbara Streisand, that makes me one of the luckiest people in the world. Uh, But from what we're seeing in Willis Towers Watson's cyber insurance claims data, fully 63% of all cyber incidents are the direct result of a company's people, its employees. So we're talking employee negligence involving accidental disclosure, social engineering scams, inadvertent ransomware infection, and sometimes, unfortunately, even malicious intentional behavior. And what that tells us is that managing a company's people risk is a core requirement for better cybersecurity. It's not just about technology. It's also about leveraging employees at every level of an organization no matter what their will really, uh, to help them become that human firewall that companies need to protect themselves against cyber attack. So what does that mean? Well, in short, it means we're talking about risk culture. You know, At the end of the day, you might have the best cybersecurity strategy in the world, but it's going to fail if your culture just isn't what it should be. And this really matters. You know, on this point, I often quote Peter Drucker, who's the father of modern business management, who famously stated, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, Warren Buffett agreed and added, culture more than rule books determines how an organization behaves. Uh, But don't get me wrong, it's not that companies haven't been trying to bring their people along. Uh, On the contrary, many have adopted very expensive training and awareness programs to do exactly that. Unfortunately, though, many of those programs are failing to result in demonstrably better cybersecurity. So at the end of the day, what's needed is a more holistic approach. And the silver lining in all this awfulness with COVID-19 is that the pandemic is forcing companies to start thinking differently about how they're managing cyber risk. And from what I've seen, three corporate leaders are really leading the charge here. They are, first and foremost, the Chief Information Security Officer, but also chief risk officers, and last but not least, HR leaders. I I call them my cybersecurity superheroes. They're the people who, in my view, are best positioned to help employees become that force multiplier for cybersecurity. And together, especially in these pandemic days, they're starting to ask the right questions that I think are gonna really help promote better cyber hygiene behaviors across the board.
1: I got to tell you, I mean, we're really seeing a keen focus on, you know, people right during this time and rightfully so as we should, um, you know, let's dive in a little bit to the HR side of this, right? Everyone's at home. You've got to push your security controls now from, you know, your, we'll say, uh, 100 offices around the world to now your 10,000 offices, which is people's homes, um, And, you know, company culture shifting, the technology stack is obviously to be almost completely cloud-based. The corporate networks almost doesn't exist, depending on how you look at it and how your architecture is laid out. Um, So so how, you know, and with HR folks focusing heavily on, you know, kind of managing, you know, the culture during the pandemic, um, what are the biggest things you're seeing companies do to try to you know, either shift the culture or maintain the culture?
2: Well, you know, I I agree with you completely. I think the most obvious challenge that's coming at us very, very quickly really is this remote work revolution that COVID-19 is causing. Prior to the coronavirus, experts were estimating that about 3.6% of the U.S. workforce were working from home full time. That's about 5 million people. But those same experts today are projecting that that percentage is going to increase to 30% by the end of 2021. That's about 42 million people. We're talking about full-time employees working from home all the time. That's a 733% increase in just 18 months. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean,
1: you know, companies in certain sectors that are used to like, you know, throwing the suit and tie on and, and going to the office every day and having to be in person, I mean, they're, they're, they're accelerating probably by a
2: decade right now in their, in their remote worker culture, right? Absolutely. And, and, and cyber criminals are not fools. I mean, they're already onto this trend. And that's why we're seeing in our claims data the uptick in phishing scams that are really zeroing in now on employees that are working from home. I mean, the bad guys know that a significant portion of those employees are using networks that are far less secure than what you'd find in an in-house corporate environment. And they know that those employees are sometimes using hardware that are even less secure. And cyber criminals are banking on the fact, literally, that IT security teams are more stressed than ever given the work-from-home reality that they're now finding themselves in. You know, bottom line, they just can't respond as quickly or as effectively to remote worker needs. And frankly, I think it's even getting worse than that. Work-from-home, and I see this personally in my own life, comes with a slew of family and other distractions (laughs) that directly correlate with higher email click rates. So what COVID-19 has done is open up a massive and vulnerable attack surface The likes of which the world has never seen before. And and while I think security technologies will evolve to address much of this, they're really not enough. Um, Companies instead are going to have to figure out how to engage remote workers differently in order to minimize human-caused cyber incidents. So, you know, as I talk to my colleagues who work on the human capital side of the house, companies really need to start asking themselves what aspects of employee experience need to be addressed here in order to help our remote workers do the right thing? You know, how should we do that in a way that helps them not only be secure, but also drive business growth? I mean, I think we're about to find out. And the need to create more robust cyberist cultures, in my view, is going to take on a whole new meaning in the months and years ahead, given this massive massive change to how work is done and where it's being done.
1: So let's dive into employee experience, right? I mean, you know, when you work with, you know, your infrastructure teams uh, as a CISO, right? Employee, you know, in the IT team, like employee experience, right? Productivity, collaboration, efficiency. Um, but, you know, in the context of what you mentioned it here, like you know, let's dive into that. Like, what, what are you what are you thinking here? What what do you mean by employee experience
2: in the context of uh, the pandemic? Well, great question. You know, the bottom line with employee experience is that companies need to identify the aspects of their workplace cultures that expose them to greater cyber risk. So, as I mentioned, a lot of my colleagues at Willis Towers Watson work on the human capital side of the house. Uh, These are men and women who are incredibly well-versed in all aspects of employee experience, and they've done exhaustive study and analysis involving thousands of companies worldwide, really across every industry sector you can think of, And what they have found is that there are four cultural indicators that are common across companies that are at higher than average cyber risk. In other words, if these things are going wrong with your people, your culture, you're at greater likelihood of experiencing a breach. And the first is lack of customer focus. And what our analysts have found is that employees in breached companies report less emphasis on customers than their more secure peers, a slower responsiveness to customers, and really fewer efforts to gather and act on customer feedback. If you're not prioritizing your customers for sales and service, you're certainly not prioritizing their cybersecurity. Uh, The second indicator uh, of a cyber risk culture that needs work is poor adaptability. And what that means is that employees in breach companies believe that their organizations lack both speed and flexibility when it comes to decision making and managing teams, so case in point, you know, one day most of your employees are working in your office space, and the next day, after COVID nineteen hits, they're all in their pajamas at home. You know, uh, according to our analysis, the companies that didn't manage that transition well probably had higher than average cyber exposures. Uh, the third aspect of employee experience that's a cyber risk red flag is is low empowerment. Our experts have found that employees in breach companies report lower favorable scores when it comes to empowering staff through three things, communication, respect, and support for teamwork. You know, if you treat your workers like cogs in some machine, you can't expect them to take action when they see cyber things going awry. And then the fourth indicator of a weak cyber risk culture, and again, this is shared across companies, across industries, is inadequate training and compensation. Uh, employees and breach companies report less adequate training for the work that they do, specifically less opportunity to upskill and advance and role, and a need to better align pay uh, for performance. Bottom line, if you're not investing in your people, yeah. they're not going to be invested in cybersecurity. Yeah, um, they
1: got to care, feel ownership. I, I completely, completely get it. Um, all right. Hey, Tom, I want to dive into that a little bit here in, in a little bit. We're going to take a quick break. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topic or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's with the number seven, folks, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much awaited Ford network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors. We'll be right back with our special guest, Cyber Growth Leader, Willis Towers Watson, Mr. Tom Finan. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. But it can bankrupt your company. It's internal risk insider fraud, ethics violations, and remote workforce risk have plunged many a company into reputational crisis. Don't be one of them. The corporate investigative team at Bluecoat have managed cybersecurity and risk mitigation in the White House, Silicon Valley, and everywhere in between. To see how Bluecoat can help protect you, visit trustbluecoat.com.
5: and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet, S-I-N-E-T.
4: In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management.
1: Willis Towers Watson, Mr. Tom Finan. Tom, in the first segment, you talked a little bit about cybersecurity superheroes, the CISO, risk officer, HR. You know, I want to go back to that and, and kind of dive back into, like, how are they collaborating,
2: and what are you seeing come out of that collaboration? Well, the good news is they are collaborating. Um, but to be honest, the one superhero who's historically been reluctant. To come to the cyber dance, so to speak, is the HR leader. Um, you know, I've talked to many of those HR leaders about this. And to be honest, here's what they're thinking. You know, they're thinking, I'm not a technical person and cyber scares me, or you know, I've got my full load of HR things to do. And you want me to take on cybersecurity as well? Or, or frankly, my personal favorite. You know, I don't even really know who our CISO is. Um, You know, the good news is that that's changing, and I do think that COVID-19 has a lot to do with it. You know, I should be clear, no one is expecting chief human resource officers to become cybersecurity gurus. That's likely a bridge too far. But what HR leaders should do is pull the human capital levers they already control to help make things better. Um, You know, Will Stowers Watson did a study with The Economist publication about two years ago, on how boards of directors are planning to build cyber resilience in the years ahead. And unsurprisingly, 73% of them said that they're going to be spending more on cyber. Uh, Given that the global global cost of cyber crime is expected to surpass $6 trillion next year, that's probably a good idea. About 50% of the boards reported that they plan to spend up to 10% more on cyber, while another 23% said they plan to spend 11% or more. And that's a big deal because companies on average are already spending about 1.7% of their annual revenue on cyber. And I can tell you that all this gets very, very interesting for HR very quickly. Uh, What we discovered is that boards plan to spend at least 50% of that increased cyber spending on the human element alone. So 19% of the increased spend is going to be for hiring the right IT talent along with cybersecurity skills training and development for those technical folks. 16% of the increase, it's going to go to rewards and incentives that are designed to encourage employees to practice good cyber hygiene during their day-to-day jobs. And 15% of the increase is going to be for cybersecurity training for all employees, whether they're technical or not. That's pretty staggering. And I can tell you that when I share these figures, HR leaders hear them as, hey, HR leader, you're going to be in a position of power and influence about how a whole bunch of money is going to be spent in the future. And it's coming really, really soon. Uh, my hope is that the opportunity to influence cybersecurity through what they already knew, know, you know, which is human capital, hopefully now with some money, is gonna bring them to the cybersecurity table. And frankly, I don't think they're gonna have much choice in the matter you know, as we go forward. Building effective cyber risk cultures with people as a critical element is rapidly becoming a cornerstone of 21st century cybersecurity. It's what we're seeing in our cyber risk management practice, it's what we're seeing with cyber insurance. I think uh, the clock is ticking and a lot faster than it was prior to the pandemic.
1: So, you know, when you start talking about the human element, obviously you start to talk about one aspect of that is access, what type of access, which then starts to lead down the path of zero trust, right? What about zero trust approaches to employees and cybersecurity? And then how do they
2: relate to the cyber risk culture strategies you're talking about? Well, bottom line up front, they are absolutely related, but very different. Uh, Zero trust strategies are critical, uh, but they're about getting to the human element of cyber risk from a completely different angle. With zero trust, the principle is about not not trusting any employee, really at any level, at any time, by default. In short, just because you're working as an employee or a contractor within a network doesn't mean you haven't been compromised. And that's why companies implementing zero trust approaches adopt things like network segmentation, employee risk assessments, least privilege access controls, and continuous monitoring. It really focused on boosting security and keeping employees honest, so to speak. I like to say that zero trust is about doing all you can to lock down the human. That's not at all what I'm talking about with employee experience. Each aspect of employee experience that could present a cyber problem, so lack of customer focus, poor adaptability, low empowerment, and training and pay for performance issues gets to a central question. What's going on with employee engagement that could change an employee's cyber attitudes and behaviors for the better? The research shows that companies that fall down in one or more of these areas are more likely than peers to suffer significant cyber losses. So really changing up human capital investment strategies to address them is a whole new way to improve cybersecurity. And I'm talking about tapping into what HR leaders are already doing every day. Uh, this involves, and I know this is gonna sound kind of loosey-goosey to the technical folks in your audience, people solutions. So this might include the obvious. you know, so For example, customized training to particular job functions uh, so the training better resonates. Or maybe it's figuring out what incentives geared to which employees will actually cause them to stop and think before they click on a phishing link. They could even be measuring stress levels across the workforce to figure out who doesn't have enough time or other resources to keep their focus on good cyber hygiene and then reducing that stress by finding ways to distribute work more equitably. Whatever the particular people solution, we're finding that engaging people this way reinforces the security gains that are already attained through Zero Trust. So, the folks that need to be at this people solutions dance, again, are all three of those cybersecurity superheroes CISOs, CROs, and HR. Uh, They've got to get down to business and figure out where their company's culture is weak, determine what each can bring to the table to help work a fix, and again, money would help, and then develop coordinated strategies to do all that work. And and this really should be a collaborative and complementary effort. What's been missing up to now has been that HR piece. COVID-19 and awareness about the human element of the risk that's frankly, has been growing steadily now for a number of years are finally starting to change that. Yeah, man, there's,
1: I mean, obviously the shift is, is on, um, and, and the focus on people is probably hasn't been, you know, as great as it is now, right. For most companies. Um, do you think it's sustainable, right? Do you think people, you think, you think, in HR, you think everyone's going to you think companies will continue to focus on the strategy of people to drive cybersecurity um, as things progress here with the pandemic.
2: You know, I I don't think they have a choice, and the question of sustainability is an important one, right? You know, you're dealing with a culture clash. Where you know, I'm a huge fan of building an effective cyber risk culture one that you know everyone is engaged they're doing the right thing they know to hold themselves and others accountable that's all people stuff and you know when you talk to chief information security officers what they'll tell me is look I know a big part of my exposure is what the employees are doing but I can't open up a conversation with HR and like I said earlier the HR leaders you know, they when they hear that hey there really is a bigger role for you to play here They push back. I mean, you know, I joke sometimes about, you know, scaring them. I've spoken to a couple of audiences of HR leaders in my current Watson, and I'll mention, you know, you are cybersecurity leaders. You have a role to play here. Frankly, they sometimes run from the room so quickly they leave burn marks on the carpeting. (laughs) And you know, I, I think what's gonna have to happen, it can't be just an organic bottom up approach where hr and ciso's just start to bond and share and make it better it has to be a top down direction from leadership what i really saw as a watershed moment is when you start seeing senior leaders who are not tech savvy talking about hey did you hear about that latest breach that happened it was a human error or you know now everyone's aware of ransomware and how that works they are starting to get beyond Um, their traditional discomfort about talking about cybersecurity, and they're looking at it as an enterprise risk management play. And that's great because they understand that enterprise risk management involves everybody, including HR. And so I think what is happening organically from top down is those questions are coming, and HR leaders who previously would speed away from from any sort of comment that they had a role to play are sticking around because they need to get smart. I think what's hard for them is these are already very busy people, and unless you resource them or create a capability within an HR division of a company that can dedicate consistent and sustained attention to this issue, it's gonna be hard. Um, but if you, it's, it's all about how you cast what you're asking them to do. I don't want them to go get a cybersecurity certification, but I do want them to open up a conversation about, well, how could training be changed for the people in sales versus the senior executives? What needs to be conveyed to them that's gonna actually help them do better next time? Um, Rewards and incentives I mentioned earlier, that to me, that is in the wheelhouse of the HR leader like nothing else. If we've got in your company, for example, a smoking cessation program, or you know, encouraging people to use public transit, or uh, you know, encouraging folks to use wellness benefits. You know, com- these HR leaders know how to push buttons and pull levers to change behavior and create those rewards and incentives. I what I'm really excited about is seeing how an HR CISO CRO combined conversation starts to explore that issue. What are the kinds of incentives that could be created that are actually gonna make cybersecurity a priority not only for the senior executive, but you know, the summer intern. And, and how do you then start to hold people accountable that way?
1: Yeah, I love it. And it extends past just the, you know, the, the phishing, you know, click rate and, you know, reporting phishing emails and all that kind of stuff.
2: Right? Well, yeah, you're, you're spot on. I mean, look, I, we talk to a lot of clients that do phishing emails, and they have these campaigns two or three times a year, And they're invaluable. And you know what? They come up with the same list of people that are clicking at rates higher than they should be. That's great. And my question to them then is, well, what do you do next? And it it typically gets punitive. You know, well, you know, we're going to, you know, give them three strikes or you're out. Look, there is a place for carrots and sticks. And I get the sticks do motivate people. But I think when it comes to cybersecurity, the message you want to be sending is more carrots, because if you are sending the message to your workforce that your leadership wants to work with you and entice you to do the right thing and help you, that's the mindset you want your culture in, where people are feeling supported, that if they have a question, that they're not afraid to ask. If they make a mistake, that they're not afraid to come forward. And and that's where... You're going to see that risk culture, human behavior dynamics start to take off. Is it sustainable? It's, I think it. I think it is. I think the hard part is getting it started.
1: Yeah, man. So you, know, you you've touched on you know poor adaptability, low empowerment. Obviously, that's that you know the carrot stick conversation is certainly part of the empowerment um, you know component. Um, you, you know, you've also you know, made the point about inadequate training and compensation giving the current pandemic, you know, how can companies improve in that area? You know, when um, financially, a lot of them are struggling, people are being laid off and furloughed and companies are filing bankruptcy kind of, you know, how, what's your recommendation or what can, what can companies do to improve in the inadequate training and compensation area to, uh, to boost cybersecurity during the pandemic?
2: Yeah, no, this is a really important issue, especially when it comes to uh, the remote workforce phenomenon that we're seeing. Um, we know that employees and breach companies are reporting across the board that they don't have the training that they need. They are not seeing their, their salary aligned to performance. And I think you're right. That training piece, upskilling, as my, my human capital friends call it, is huge. And it's all about molding workers to better meet the demands of the business, changing customer needs, and really their own career objectives. I mean, the obvious benefits of this are beyond dispute. And if you're already investing here, good for you, but you probably don't know that that the kind of training that you're providing to, to shape your employees this way is having a cybersecurity benefit. I mean, first off, on the surface, Upskilling is going to help you drive retention, it it enhances your competitiveness, it makes your company more attractive to new hires. And you ultimately you're making your workplace someplace that people want to be. When people find themselves in that mindset, it shouldn't be overly surprising that cybersecurity improves. And and, and given that the huge increase in remote work that COVID-19 has caused and is going to continue causing. A lot of folks are now looking at less formal upskilling opportunities for remote workers. Look, training can be very expensive, but what I'm talking about are things like micro-training programs that are really well adapted to this increasingly common remote workforce phenomenon. They're delivered through bite-sized education modules that are shared through short videos. That's exactly the format you want for people that are gonna be accessing all this from home and sort of like learning on the go. And unlike you know, a full bore, let's sit down for three days and have training type approach, each module is designed to accomplish certain narrow learning objectives that are really relevant to a particular benefit, you know, particular uh, business. And it really helps make training not a once and done, but a continuous part of the remote workplace and it's not something that, you know, you sort of check the box and then you come back in 12 months. You know, I look, I worked at the Department of Homeland Security, as, as did you. I, ha- I went through my annual cybersecurity training, and I did it every year. And it came, like, every October during National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. To be honest, by year three, I didn't even need to look at the questions. I knew, I knew what the answers were going to be. So being able to refresh and make it relevant and, frankly, having – the employees help shape this micro-training. You know, what do you wanna know? What skills are gonna be relevant to you going forward? Whatever the particular role might be, you're engaging them, they feel that you're investing in them, and it's gonna be cheaper because you can really do this with any sort of well-positioned media department, um, and even tasking the employees to do it. It, it becomes something that's a, you know, a team effort that isn't coming from on high or outside it's coming from internally. And this kind of enhanced engagement really does lead to better cybersecurity uh, performance at every level. There are other ways to upskill. One approach is to uh, really team remote workers with other senior colleagues through virtual mentorships and similar sort of job shadowing opportunities, you know, sort of that learning through observing, which has been traditional in most physical environments. But I think is even more important now that people are working from home. Uh, another is to tap into your company's star talent. You know, Have them create training on what they're really good at and then make it available through video meetings and, and webinars and, and, and what have you. And I'm also a big fan, and I see this especially with developers. I, I was at a startup for a while before I came to my current role. They were really big on learning communities. You know, They can exist you know, internally or externally but creating a space where employees can virtually collaborate and ask questions, exchange ideas and information with peers, and these are all creative solutions. Um, while they are obviously an investment in people and professional development, they're also an investment in cybersecurity survival. Um, so I, I think that's where it needs to go. I, frankly, most companies are comfortable with training because it's something that they've done traditionally with the remote work phenomenon. They have to think, get a little bit creative and think about it a little differently, but they should be confident in doing so because what we've seen in this research is that it's going to directly impact cybersecurity attitudes and behaviors for the better. When it, when it comes to pay for performance, you know, obviously things are tight. Um, remote work makes things more complicated. I do think that for starters, remote workers should not be penalized for their status. And what I mean by that is this, companies in this, this COVID-19 world, you know, now and once we come out of the pandemic, are gonna have to review their employee evaluation and promotion criteria to make sure that they're not favoring in-office employees. You know, for obvious reasons, traditional metrics like FaceTime and hours worked really don't apply anymore. Uh, you know, managers, should really be focusing on outcome-focused evaluations that are assessing the quality of the work that employees do, also the quantity, but are you getting from your employees what you need? And and that really is going to require a shift away from sort of static business processes and procedures and allowing your employees to work with you to define the boundaries of, of what particular kinds of work Uh, are going to entail. You know, what are the standard sets of objectives? What are the tasks that need to be accomplished? What are the deadlines you need to meet? But then you got to free up employees to decide how they're going to best navigate within those boundaries, you know, and that's going to give them a tremendous amount of freedom to do their work, you know, on their terms, on their time. And Ultimately, give them that flexibility that they need for more work-life balance, which is going to be critical with remote with remote work. But also um, allow some creativity. Um, and I, you know, I, I think some human capital and, and HR leaders have been a little bit shy about taking this on because they're like, "Well, how do I measure that?" But I really think that if you come up with um, some boundaries around how you want your people to be working remotely, and then you assign projects to different people on the team you're going to be able to see, okay, what is exceptional work? What is mediocre work? And you're going to get a sense of, you know, how those boundaries are actually happening in practice. And you can compare and contrast performance that way. That should feed then your promotion criteria, your salary, your benefits, and all those factors and considerations, which is huge. You can even start to help your team, you know, your top people focus on, you know, top
1: talent, and then give them the opportunity to recover, Right. And make sure they're, you know, they're not just focused on working all the time. Right. I mean, that's one of the the hardest challenges I'm hearing from folks, you know, in in working from home is, you know, they feel like they're working more. Right. And 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 so getting that recovery time in also becomes extremely um, important. So, all right, folks, another short break here to hear from our sponsors. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more from our special guest, cyber growth leader, Willis Towers Watson. Uh, Mr. Tom Finan, you're listening to Task Force Seven Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebookcom forward slash voice America.
4: You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. But it can bankrupt your company. It's internal risk insider fraud, ethics violations, and remote workforce risk have plunged many a company into reputational crisis. Don't be one of them. The corporate investigative team at Bluecoat have managed cybersecurity and risk mitigation in the White House, Silicon Valley, and everywhere in between. To see how Bluecoat can help protect you, visit trustbluecoat.com.
5: And the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet. S I N E T.
4: In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management.
0: You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at TaskForce7Radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, Radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to
1: Task Force Seven Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, cyber growth leader from Willis Towers Watson, Mr. Tom Finan. <clears throat> Tom, I, I gotta ask you, man. We you know we were talking a lot about um, work-life balance. We're talking about how companies can um, address the workforce and manage people, you know, in a predomin- you know, a predominantly remote situation, right? And, and the key is, we, we, it seems like, to focus on outcomes as opposed to managing the clock, right? When we don't want to punch the clock anymore, right? You got people at home, you got other things to do, you're balancing a lot of different stressors, right? So what else can we focus on you know, uh, outside of just outcomes?
2: Yeah, no, great question. You know, outcomes, I think, um, puts you in the right frame of mind. You know, ultimately, we want to turn out quality work Uh, quality services, quality products for our clients and prospects. Um, But you also got to couple that with a focus on behavior. Uh, You know, a work-from-home team member might be super productive, but they shouldn't be breaking company rules or or tearing down colleagues that stand in their way. You know, we all have to play nice in our remote sandboxes. So behavior-focused performance measures might include things like a a person's level of cooperation on the team, supportiveness, conflict handling, mental stability, all that kind of stuff. And, And all those new metrics require something more. You know, given the fact that remote workers are remote, managers should think about performance evaluations as a team effort. You know, structured feedback could be obtained, for example, from a particular employee's teammates in order to get a truer sense of their performance certainly in terms of outcomes, but also, again, behaviors. And managers really could make it pretty easy to get these viewpoints from colleagues, you know, maybe by limiting questions to the kinds of actions that a certain individual should be starting, stopping, or continuing. You know, if you're in the flow with a, with a colleague, you know what they're doing well, you know what they need to fix, you know what you'd like to see more of, that's really gold when it comes to a perspective and insight into how a particular worker is doing. I I frankly wouldn't even stop there. I would open up the circle further to folks beyond the particular remote team to gather 360-degree feedback, maybe from different teams and departments and managers that are engaging with that remote employee on your team. They all might have really useful perspectives on where an employee best fits, given his or her demonstrated skills. But you won't know that unless you ask. You know, at the end of the day, if you're not seeing your remote team members every day, you'd really be well-served by listening to those who are working with them regularly to get a fuller picture of their performance. You know, I get this. You know, this is a completely new way of managing people, but it's also a new way to better manage cyber risk. You know, the saying goes, you know, cybersecurity is a team sport. Effective management of remote employees that ultimately has a cybersecurity benefit is no different. Yeah, man. So,
1: so, so, what advice can you give organizations who are looking to build effective cybersecurity teams in this environment? Like, you know, we, we talk about the teams for when everyone's participation, but like in terms of building effective cybersecurity teams, right? What advice can you give?
2: Well, you know, the war for talent, sadly, is very real, and it obviously predates. Uh, the coronavirus. You know, the, the last statistic I saw that is that there's about 315,000 open cybersecurity jobs just in the United States. There aren't enough people to meet demand. And, and that leaves people and companies competing for talent in real time. From what I've seen, it's very common for competitors to snatch employees away from each other on an, almost a weekly basis. And, and I, for one, can attest to the fact that Local universities and colleges here in Washington, D.C. are already well aware of this. You know, frankly, if I hear one more radio announcement from a particular university about its latest cybersecurity certificate program, I'm going to shave my head and join a commune. Uh, but, you know, all kidding aside, they really are on to something. It's a cybersecurity professionals market. And all of these workers can be very picky about where they go. Uh, and ultimately what conditions they're going to be working under. And the evidence of this power is mounting by the day. You know, increasing numbers are choosing to forego formal positions altogether and instead are choosing to work as contractors. And that may sound appealing, but to me, that creates a huge cybersecurity problem for companies. You know, as an organization, you want to have on staff permanently the right cybersecurity people with the right cybersecurity skills. And if you don't, your cyber losses are likely to be exponentially worse on a bad cyber day than otherwise would be the case. And that bad day eventually is gonna come for all of us. And I really wanna emphasize this need for permanent or at least long serving cybersecurity team members. The longer good cybersecurity employees are committed to you, the more they know your systems, your data, your procedures, your personalities, And all of this is invaluable knowledge that you can't just buy off the shelf. It has to be developed over time in order to enable much more successful handling of cyber issues. A seasoned crew, in my view, is a successful crew when it comes to cyber. And it really does bring a whole new meaning to this whole idea of a robust cyber risk culture. So to answer your question directly, how do you you recruit and retain these men and women to do this really critical work, I think companies have to do their homework to really understand what cyber risk that they as an organization face now and into the future. I mean, obviously that's gonna change depending upon their sector, their size, their geography, a whole bunch of other factors. But once they figure that out, companies have to ask themselves as objectively as possible, you know, what job functions do we currently have filled that meet and address these risk areas? How do we compare with our peers? You know, where are our gaps? And what skill sets do we have covered? I mean, maybe you've got certain people in a certain job function with one skill set that would be transferable to another area. You've got to sort of inventory that, figure out where, where are those functions and skills, what's missing, and can we build these skills in-house, or are we gonna to have to hire them from outside? And, and given the fact that the cyber risk landscape shifts all the time, what is our cyber risk profile going to look like five years from now? And how do we map current skills and functions to that? You know, what gaps are going to be opening up as time goes on? These are all tough questions, but again, it's a job for your friendly neighborhood cybersecurity superheroes to start answering them. You know, the chief information security officer, she or he is obviously going to have a perspective, but you've got to have those leaders building meaningful and I think different relationships with HR to develop a recruitment and retention strategy that puts them in the best cyber risk management uh, pos- uh, position possible. And, and that retention point is critical. You know, how do you get, once you get the good people in the door, how do you get them to stay with you over the long haul? I think traditionally the answer to that question is more and more salary. I mean, that obviously is a huge factor. But increasingly, in the practice that I've been watching within Willis Towers Watson, I'm seeing companies that are being successful because they're providing these cybersecurity team members with access to new technologies. Maybe there's something cutting edge out there that they really want to get exposure to. Maybe giving them certain job experiences that they otherwise might not have until later in their careers, fostering that professional growth early. It's also, and I saw this a lot in government, having a career path that the employee himself or herself is able to define. You know, what is my job here going to look like, not only in the next quarter, but in four years from now? You know, you make it worth their while. Make them want to stay with you because they're invested in their future. I think employers have to do a better job asking of their teams, what could we do to incentivize you to commit you to stay with us longer? You know, what could we do to pro- professionally develop you in a way that is going to make you committed to our defense? I think too many employers, unfortunately, are not asking that question, so they're really falling short on this workforce element of cyber risk management as well. Um, I know that there really aren't easy answers, but what I can tell you is that companies with strong cybersecurity teams that stay put over time have a really great story to tell on the risk management front. And this absolutely means something when it comes to cyber insurance. You know, the greater your ability... To recruit and retain top talent, the more attractive you are as a cyber risk. You know, underwriters can have confidence that you really do have it going on with your cybersecurity workforce. And that likely means access to more coverage on better terms over time. It gives them comfort that you're an organization that's addressing cyber risk from all the angles. Yeah, I love that part of it, right? You, you know, at the end
1: of the day, we're We're trying to manage risk, minimize risk, um, and and do it from a people-focused approach. Um, You know, one of the things that I've noticed throughout my career in cyber is, you know, the kind of, we call it the rev meter, right? You're always kind of pegging out on the rev meter. The workload is high. The stress is high. You're always on. Um, Now everyone's working from home. There's additional stressors you know, and recovery becomes a major part, your personal recovery becomes a, a major part of the day-to-day flow. Like what what are you personally doing, you know, to help manage, you know, recovery on a day-to-day, you know, to um, just, you know, it's always fun to share some executive perspective for our listeners. You know, um, I think we learn these things later in our career. We don't learn them early on. So we're trying to share that, get the message out now. So what, what are you doing to recover during the
2: remote, um, work-life balance you know challenges that everyone has you know thanks for that question and you know it's been a learning process for me as I'm sure it has been for many over the last couple of months you know to be honest when I was first told you're going to be working from home now for the foreseeable future you know on the one hand it's great but you know I try to be a high-performing individual I know the work I need to do and if I'm not careful you know, I'll start my day at eight and I look up at the clock and it's nine o'clock at night, you know, and, and, you know, not being in a physical office environment, not being, you know, frankly in, in conversation with my manager as often because of that, it it really was hard to set boundaries. So I mentioned setting boundaries earlier. I think it's all about, for me, figuring out what the routine is going to look like and stick, stick with it. You know, I, I, obviously, want to, you know, spend time with my family, you know, at the beginning of, of COVID, you know, I'm working in a space with four other human beings that have needs and wants, and that distraction point was absolutely the case. You know, I'm on a, a Zoom call, or a, you know, a Microsoft Teams call with a client, and, you know, my nine-year-old walks in and wants to know if he can go outside. You know, was like, wash your hands first, and, you know, don't talk to people. You know? And, you know, I'll tell you, now that I've ad- established more of a routine, and sort of set limits for myself, I'm gonna work from this point to that point, um, I'm finding myself communicating more my expectations internally, but also to clients, you know, what, and, and hearing what works for them. You know, if they wanna have a call at seven, and they don't wanna have the call at three, I might take that three to four hour to do something for my family, and then I can commit that time during the evening to a client when it's more comfortable. So being more flexible, but then also turning it off. Um, I will say, while, while my initial work from home experience was somewhat frustrating given the distractions that come with a relatively young family, it actually has had a huge benefit for me. Um, I work hard, I love the work I do, I care passionately about cybersecurity and building effective cyber cultures and making cyber less scary. But because my family's around, I actually put all of that into a completely different context. I'm doing this because, I, yes, I want my clients to be in a better cyber risk management position, but I also want our company, our country to be thriving, you know, economically. Economic security is homeland security. And I'm looking at the people I surround myself with. I'm doing it for my family. And these are people who are going to benefit, you know, indirectly perhaps. But if I can help make the country safer from a cyber event, make com- companies more confident about the investments they're making to protect themselves – you know, in a way, it's an indirect way of showing love for my family and, you know, love of country. So it's, it was sort of an unexpected discovery, you know, at the start. But I think I have a healthier perspective about what I do, the boundaries I need to set, but also um, that that context of what I'm doing and why. Yeah, I appreciate the
1: perspective, Tom. I really appreciate you coming on the show, buddy. Thanks a bunch. Thanks, man. Have a good one. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up on out of here. But before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there.